Welcome to the Liz Career Coaching Podcast. My name is Liz Herrera, and I am your host, career coach, and job search ally. People strive to find career happiness, purpose, and satisfaction, and yet end up in a career path that does not align with their goals and overall purpose. If you are launching your career or ready for your next career move, this podcast will empower you to pave your path and take the action steps to get you where you need to be. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Liz Career Coaching Podcast. I'm Liz Herrera and I'm your host. Today I want to talk about workplace burnout. Based on conversations that I've had with clients and friends, I wanted to create some space to have this dialogue on my show. And I am so grateful to have a wonderful colleague and fellow career coach share her knowledge in this area. So today I have the pleasure to introduce Ashley K. Ritter. Ashley is the practice director and career and leadership coach at Chicago Career Consulting, where they empower individuals and teams to design meaningful lives and careers. She believes the world of work can exist with more creativity, human compassion, and equity. She specializes in issues related to burnout, toxic workplace recovery, and emotional safety at work. Let's dive in. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the show. It is a pleasure having you as a guest to cover such an important topic. Well, thanks for having me, Liz. I'm kind of all excited. So I can't wait to dive in. (laughs) Yeah. And especially, you know, I know you and I have connected and we're in similar fields. And so you have a ton of experience working with a range of professionals. And, you know, one of the things that we keep hearing uh, is is burnout, right? Mm -hmm. And if anything Mm -hmm. has taught us from the great resignation, these are the Mm -hmm. topics that have come up, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's absolutely right. And I think oftentimes we don't, we don't really have a lot of language. Sometimes we have an experience of something before we have language for it. And so I think the language is just now catching up with perhaps what people have felt for a while. So, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I enjoy about inviting career coaches, career professionals to the podcast is I always like to hear, you know, their story as to why, they do what it is that they do. Right. Cause I feel like we're a passionate bunch and oh yeah, we are, (laughs) (laughs) we want to help people and inspire and motivate. And so you have, you know, you have your areas of expertise, Mm -hmm. but I would love to hear a little bit of your personal backstory as how that has influenced the work that you do today as, as a career professional. Absolutely. So I often think to myself, I think one of the reasons that I became a career coach even was because, um, because when I, I was the first in my family to go to college. And so I immediately saw that there were all of these invisible rules and invisible frameworks and networks that folks were following. And so I became very tuned into, okay, evidently I need to follow and, and learn what this is in order to navigate what's next. And so I think I became very focused on understanding that not only for myself, but you know, to create a, a, a wider door, so to speak. And so um, that's a little bit of how that started for me. I think the other piece of the puzzle here is the, um, the fact that, you know, I think careers are very personal. And so even the word career comes with a lot of pressure as though it's like comes in a box that you pick up at a store, like, okay, I'm going to like pick up my career and here I go. Like, and it's so much more nuanced than that, especially because of how it does intersect with our stories. And so I grew up, um, with my mom and my grandparents and I watched how their careers played out in their life and how the effect that had, um, which I can share more about that. But I think, you know, I, I came to, I think as an observer noticed how deeply personal this is in terms of people's lives, but yet it, it has a very public face, right? Like Mm -hmm. what's your career? What do you do? 
but what goes on behind closed doors and how people are wrestling with it is a totally different story. And I think I became really intrigued with that story. So, yeah, absolutely. Was there anything in particular from what you observed from your mother that you felt like this is what I need to do? Um, so my mom was, um, my mom, um, eventually became a medical coder. Um, but previous to that, she was a property manager. And I, I remember, you know, watching her, um, with pride, right. Watching her kind of make her way. And, um, when I was about five years old, she actually was laid off from that job. And, 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 you know, as a kid, you don't really know what's going on, but I, I think I intuitively saw, wait, something just happened in her life that not just affects me, but affects her as a person. And so I think, you know, I, I saw how much dignity people glean from their work mm-hmm. and how sometimes we aren't always in charge or in, in, in power of what happens to us in those spaces. And so I think again, I mean, I wasn't using that language as a five-year-old, but <laughs> you know, um, I, it, it, it made a profound impact. Um, I, I joke when she, so she became a medical coder when I was eight years old and I think I like, or maybe seven, I think I hugged her at her, her graduation and said, mom, you grew feet because I kept hearing everyone say, you just need to get on your feet. You need to get on your feet. Right. And so I realized that work isn't just something we do for our, like our identity or for things we care about. It's also how many of us are providing every day to keep things going. Right. And so I think just this really interesting relationship that humans have with work No, thank you for sharing that. And this is why I love asking about, you know, people's personal backstory and even how you said that, you you know, your mom's experience had a profound impact, even for you as a five-year-old, like, I think it's, you know, you're very intuitive and you, even though you're little. And so like, even for me, that's part of my reasoning behind my profession is the same thing. My father experienced a layoff and Mm -hmm. I learned from that and observing and just the way that I saw the world of work. Mm-hmm. Um, that definitely influenced. So thank you for sharing your, your personal yeah. backstory. Thanks for um, asking. I think so many of us want to talk about it, you know, so it's great to be asked. No. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important. Um, and it, it aligns to why it is that we, why we are passionate and, and really dedicated in the, in the work that we do. And so, you know, given the climate and just, you know, just people just being aware of certain situations, as you said earlier, you know, there's language now in terms of of burnout and Mm -hmm. you know you've experienced clientele I have clients too that have expressed you know what's happening in the workplace but before we dive into that what would you say are some of the early signs Mm -hmm. um, that someone may be dealing with work burnout yeah okay so I'm going to roll my proverbial sleeves up here. You can't see me if you're listening to this online, but I have a leather jacket on, so you can't really roll it up, but I had to mention the leather jacket. Um, so here's, here's the thing that I think we're, we're going to have to talk about this from a few different angles. One of the things I have realized is how there's a lot of, um, confusion around what is burnout? What does it mean? How, you know, what the, the phrase is often used, I think for people when they're saying, um, things like I'm feeling burned out at work. Um, so I want to, I want to create some space for us to, to lay a framework of what this is and what it's not. So there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with saying, Oh, I'm feeling burned out. Usually that means someone feels like, well, you know, I'm not as enthused about work or I'm feeling really tired from work. That's very different than experiencing burnout in its actual definition. So, so one of the, so that this, this phrase started to be studied more, um, in, in academic spaces in the seventies, um, recently has been brought into more conversation in more academic research, the specific, uh, definition by the world health organization, which has just recently acknowledged it as, a, a, a real thing. They called an occupational phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And the three indicators are emotional exhaustion, 
depersonalization, or also now they're saying they're calling this um, an experience of cynicism around work. And it really, it's about distancing oneself from one's, from one's work experience. And then finally, a lack of career self-efficacy and the career self-efficacy one, folks are kind of like, what, what does that mean? Or what I like to think of this as less of, it's not that you're not doing well in your job. It's almost that you may, it's almost becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, well, maybe the problem's me. Maybe I'm just not made for Maybe I can't just, I just can't do this. And it becomes kind of this spiral. So really you have to have all three present to really be experiencing the the full technical definition of burnout. Now, let me clarify one other thing here. I think I heard someone the other day use the term clinical burnout. This is not a clinical diagnosis. And I think that's really important for people to know. This is not even when the World Health Organization acknowledged it and, you know, put it in there, gave it a classification not even a month later, they, they had to write a, not a retraction, but a clarification because they wanted people to know this is not technically an illness or disease. It's not a clinical diagnosis. So I think that's important to note because they were, they did that because they were concerned about individuals being blamed for something that is in fact individually experienced, but actually an organizational, it's in connection with an organizational challenge. So I'll pause there because I know that's a lot of information and I'm going to, I'm going to break it down more, but let me just pause and kind of hear what of that sounds like it's landing based on what you've seen and, and where can I kind of offer some clarity? No, that's really, I get used to talking about this. So (laughs) no, that's really helpful. I think having, having, being able to recognize the differences and defining what it actually is and that it's, you know, individualistic, however, that it is, like you said, tied to organization. So I think it was good that um, the World Health Organization was able to uh, redefine because uh, right. I think it could get blurry, right? As you mentioned, you know, that it was ter- termed in something clinical and you're like, no, this is not, this is not a clinical diagnosis. Um, so I think it's important to have that differentiation. And so right. in, in thinking about, you know, the individual, so someone, you know, like I, I think about, you know, some of my clients, you know, they're, you know, they may be expressing this, they're in the, they're in their organization, they're in their workplace. What are some things that can lead to burnout? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. So I, I'm glad, I'm glad we're talking about what can lead to it because, Um, again, I think I want to put this in the context of an organization. So this is about the relationship the individual has with the organization. And, and this is more often than not, that is the, the, the frame in which this happens. So a few things I want to, again, kind of offer here. I think I, I, I often will work with leaders who will say, well, everyone's burned out. So we gave them a, a few self-care days, right? <laughs> and, I, and I laugh, I was like, oh, it's like a great effort. Like, that's really a nice, nice thing to consider. And definitely, you know, self-care is perhaps one sliver of the pie. Mm-hmm. But if there's nothing else, if you're like jogging along, listening to this podcast, if there's nothing else you take away, <laughs> this is the one thing I really hope you hear me say. Self-care is not the antidote or solution to burnout. That is not what this is about. It might, again, be a piece of the pie, but that is not the full, the full puzzle. So going back to, you know, what's the, what cause what's the dynamics at play here? There's a few things I want to kind of make known. So one is really burnout is about understanding your relationship with chronic stress and Mm -hmm. chronic stress and the chronic stress responses in the body. So this is why people start to think burnout is a clinical thing because it, it leads to that. Believe it or not, you can go Google right now, Mayo Clinic burnout. They have a whole article of actual physical ailments related to people's experience of burnout and chronic stress responses. So I think when I, when I saw that a few years ago, I, I really, it made me pause because I think when I work with a lot of clients, they think that like they have no, um, or not just client friends, everyone, me, myself, like 
we think somehow that stress is something that we should just be okay with. with, Right. Yeah. Is it like, you know what, if you're resilient, you should find a way, right. I just got done talking about my family, my incredible family and the the things that they taught me. So you better believe I learned how to make it happen. Right. Like we got to, we got to hustle, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and I think even, you know, again, there are some positive attributes, of course, to learning how to, to move through stress. But the challenge there is that what occurs is we become disconnected with even understanding what our own stress responses are. And we get into a chronic state of cortisol, the stress hormone, other hormones in our body go flooding into our system. And then we are constantly in that mode where our nervous system is activated. And that's where you start to get to the point where it's less about, oh, I think I just don't feel good in my job and more about, wow, I'm not, I'm not okay. I, I'm not functioning well in my job or I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm foggy when I try and go think of, of what, you know, what I need to do next in my work. Um, so I want to offer a few other clarifiers there too, but I think what's important to note is that the role of chronic stress and understanding the difference between the stress and the stressors. Does that make sense to you? And, and do you see that as well? Complete sense. But I like how you're breaking it down because you're right. I feel that the band-aid is, oh, you know, self-care. You can take a mental health day, which I think, you know, all those things are great. Yeah. But really getting to the root mm-hmm. of, you know, burnout. Because if, if it's if it's a cultural, organizational, cultural yeah. thing, then go. it's going to be ongoing. It's going to be, you go. you're, you're not, you're not moving away from those stresses. And yeah. I also like what you mentioned about how the stress response, right? How it impacts your health and I being able to be self-aware and identifying those triggers or those stressors mm-hmm. and what that actually looks like. And I think that's, that was kind of the motivation behind my question and in thinking about yourself in the workplace if you're constantly feeling stressed out or there's physical reactions to those stresses and what are some things that we can think about to avoid, or, you know, I don't know, what are some strategies? Yeah. So I think we have to look at this from two different angles. So Mm -hmm. if we want to look at it from both the individual and the organizational, the organizational part is because I, I hear a lot of burnout strategies really kind of being directed toward the individual. And I think even as organizational leaders, that's our kind of go-to like, okay, well, what do you need? Uh, What do you, like we, we try and address the individual before we address the system of stressors. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to give a little metaphor here, please. Let's say every day, Liz, I just like show up at your house and I give you this tiny little like cup of ice cream and it's like so yummy and woo, you have your ice cream. It's a great little cup. Every day you have your little cup, you eat it because it's a nice little amount of ice cream and it's fine. Okay. That's a doable amount. And I'm not, I'm talking about the, like the portion that you can handle eating in one sitting. Now let's say every day I brought you what do they have? What is that? A gallon? Is it a, ga- a gallon? Not even a pint. Oh, because I, I can take out a pint. Okay. So if I show up at your door every day with a five gallon bucket of ice cream, and let's say it's your job to eat that ice cream. And then if I said, well, gosh, Liz, why aren't you able to eat all of this ice cream? Do you need, you know, do you need more time to eat the ice cream? Do you need more like, like, if I started to almost blame you instead of saying, well, this is probably an unreasonable amount of ice cream. That is a phenomenal metaphor. Right. Right. So, so the reality is here, I think for both individuals and organizations understand stress is not going away. Yep. Right. Stress is there. I'm not telling people to have especially organizational leaders to have unrealistic expectations on them that they have to make everything perfect. No, like stress is going to be there and individuals are responsible to learn tactics to manage stress. The problem is when we expect when the stressor is more than is ever reasonable to try and manage. And that's where I see individuals really struggling to going, is it me? Is it this? Is it that? I don't know. When in actuality, we need to come around the organization and say, what has contributed mm-hmm. to the culture where we don't have enough emotional safety to acknowledge what's really going on here? 
So I can talk about what organizations can do and what individuals can do. But again, you know, let me just pause. I, I've lost track of your question. So maybe did I hit on it? Where, where, oh, you where did. did the question go? And I think it's good because, you know, I asked that question because that's something that people will ask, right? But it's a, a reframe or redirecting, right? Like it's yeah. not, it's like, it's not me having to hold that accountability of, oh, what am I doing wrong? What can I do better? Maybe I should be doing more self-care mm-hmm. and not having the onus on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if the expectations are, you know, unrealistic. So I thought that was a great metaphor to use. And I guess one of the things that I want to really tap into, because I think this will resonate with, you know, some of my listeners, mm-hmm. um, especially from like a cultural standpoint, okay, and you, yeah. you alluded to this with your example, even yep. about your mom, mm-hmm. about, you know, survival mode, working yep. hard, yep. that work ethic. Mm-hmm. What are some of our mindsets or some mindsets that you're maybe yep. that you have experienced working with people or even with your yep. own personal experience that, that we allow that, that, oh, that actually creates a barrier to, uh, for us in terms of how we think about burnout. What are the connections there? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so well, well put. So uh, uh, let me go back to my story to offer some, some perspectives on that from my experience. So I identify as both white and Latina. My grandfather is Mexicano. I have family in Costa Rica. Um, And so that's a big part of my story. And then aside from the cultural dynamic is, um, the, the economic dy- dynamic, uh, you know, in some circles, we would say like, you know, I grew up with an economic, you know, economic challenge or growing up, we, we call ourselves, we were poor folk. We, we, were, we were poor. I'm proud of so much of that experience, um, culturally in my, my family. Okay. So going back to, um, going back to how we, we think about this, you know, I myself, and I've worked with a lot of people who have said, well, I'm not allowed to feel this way because my, again, my grandfather worked in, in a, you know, worked on parts, um, for almost 40 years. Like he worked the night shift. He worked double shift. Like, why would I be complaining at all? Mm -hmm. So here's the problem. Okay. The problem is in fact, I have a, a fun story to illuminate this. When I, my first job out of college, I distinctly remember going to leave at five. I was like, it's five. It's time to leave. Right. And the person was like, oh no, I, I mean, you kind of stay till the job's done. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah. I, I get that too, but I had only seen hourly work. Yeah. I didn't understand exempt work. I didn't understand that that would even be a concept on some level. Right. But I think it comes from this wonderful character quality that many people have, no matter their socioeconomic background, their racial background, their cultural background. And the, the challenge is part of what happens is we can do that to the point where it is no longer benefiting us. It's no longer benefiting the people around us and actually creates a dynamic where others are going to benefit off of that dynamic. Have you heard of the passion tax? No. Okay. So passion tax is this idea. I can't, I can't think of the researcher right now in the name of it, but there's, it's this idea that people, they did a study that people who kind of like were passionate about their work and cared about their work were often called upon more often mm. to do more work because they really loved their work. The problem is, again, this becomes sort of this dynamic where, and this is why I think so many people will say, well, you need to think about self-care. The challenge here, and I don't, I don't know if I can even describe it fully, but the idea, the challenge here is that we end up contributing to a system that is not working for human beings. We're not physically made to work 50, 60, 70 Yes, but you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, there's physical problems with that, no Mm -hmm. matter what your background is. And so I think we have to kind of come to terms with that within ourselves and say, is, is that really what's healthy? Even though I've seen, seen what other people have done and I recognize what it's like to not have a choice. 
I once had someone at work say, Ashley, how do you work so hard? And I looked up immediately, almost without with gut response. And I said, well, I don't have a choice. And like, this is, this is, and I realized in that moment, I was operating out of something that wasn't, wasn't fully the case, Mm -hmm. but it had gotten so embedded in me and my story that I didn't know how to let go of it. Right. So again, this is not about an individual thing, but it's, it's, it's a complicated, it's a complicated thing. I wish I could answer it even more fully, but what do you think? No, I I'm with you. And and that's why I asked that question, because I feel that, you know, in my personal experience, or even the people that I talk to in their experience, a lot of it comes from our upbringing and what we've been exposed to in terms of our family and their, you know, their efforts and their survival. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, like, you're like, oh, you know, my grandfather working all these hours, like I have nothing to complain about. Like I work in an office. Right. So, you know, I saw my, my father struggle so much and I'm like, I'm so lucky. I have a, a, you know, a great job. I'm, you know, I'm educated. And I think that when I hear, you know, people's stories, you know, similarly, I feel that we, it's about the strong work ethic and integrity. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know when I first started in my career, it's like, well, I want to be visible. I want to be able to move Mm -hmm. up the career Mm -hmm. ladder. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is nonstop, nonstop. And so I think one of the things that I've learned in, you know, in my career, as I've gotten a little bit older is setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, for me, I'm very, I've been very fortunate to work for organizations that you know, that, that provide that, that space and the time. And again, you know, very fortunate for that, but making sure that I'm not, that I'm not contributing to any burnout that, you know, that I experience, um, and and goes back to how you defined it. Right. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and so those are my, my thoughts around that. And so going back, go go ahead. I just, I'll, I'll offer one other thought. You got me thinking there because you're you're, you're absolutely right that there is a difference between internalizing the work ethic of your family and then realize, or, or your background or whatever it may be. And then realizing when that's actually a detriment to you, Mm -hmm. I think that I, 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 I hear a lot of clients say, Oh, I'm not like, I'm not a complainer. And Mm -hmm. and typically this is true because they're high achieving. They, you know, they, I don't complain. I, and they like want to put all these caveats. Like, I know I shouldn't feel this way. And if you hear yourself saying, I shouldn't feel this way, that's a yes. pretty good indicator that maybe there's something there that you, in fact, you do need to feel, or that is give good data on what's going on. And again, I'm not going to paint a picture that this is somehow super simple. Like I get that, you know, there may be seasons of your life where you're going to haul it because that's what the system that you're in is requiring of you. I just think it's really important that we as a society start to turn the corner on that as a collective, not as individuals, you know, as a collective to start to say, we have to recognize the collective effects this is having and who, and who's, who that disadvantages most. And we have to be, we have to shift our culture as a whole. So, yeah. No, absolutely. And so now I know you talked about you know, the individual mm-hmm. perspective. And so let's say you are working in an organization where, you know, your employer is actually, you know, invested in your, yeah. you know, they value you and they, yeah. they're invested in their employees from the employer standpoint, how can they identify someone that may be experiencing work burnout? Mm, okay. I think very often, um, there's a, I I think there's a lot of shame connected to this for people, right? There's Mm -hmm. a lot of shame. If you, if you're a very high performing person and you suddenly just can't will yourself to do it anymore, there's a lot of shame that surrounds that for folks. Um, so often it will be a little bit difficult to, to, to identify. Um, I like to tell people that one of the first indicators in yourself is a sense besides the emotional exhaustion piece is almost a bit of apathy, right? Mm-hmm. It's the absence of feeling that starts. And again, this is different than burnout. This is more a sense of, of 
uh, well, I think it was, there was an article last year about languishing. I think a lot of folks saw it. If not, you can look it up. It was a, a term that was coined that was not so much about burnout, but was just, it was from Adam Grant and um, was just this idea of not, not being able to feel much of anything. So let's talk for a moment about how to recognize as an individual, whether what you're dealing with is, is burnout or is something else. Cause a lot of folks will say, and say like, well, I don't know if I'm like dealing with burnout or depression. Should I see a counselor? What mm. And a lot of people will say, if you're burnout, see a counselor. So these, these are kind of some interesting dynamics that play out. The other component here is we've got compassion fatigue. So yep. we haven't even talked about that. And that's not what this <laughs> podcast is about, but compassion fatigue essentially happens. It's, 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 um, another term for secondary trauma where or secondary vicarious trauma, excuse me, where you're, you're working with people who are dealing with very, uh, challenging circumstances, traumatic events. Um, and that you're kind of constantly in that mode to the point where you almost, it does the opposite. So when burnout, you start to go, gosh, I just can't, I can't, like, I can't, can't will myself. I'm just emotional exhaustion with compassion fatigue. You can't stop yourself. You work even more. It's almost like the muscle that you need to slow down is atrophies. And so you do more of it. And we see this a lot with people, again, you know, social workers, community, community health, people serving students. We see it a lot in those, those spaces as well, but, um, yeah. So going back to the, the burnout piece versus, um, you know, depression, I'll say this, like, I'm not a clinician. I, I don't tell people that I am. Um, I think what's important though, is to recognize that sometimes burnout can be existing in tandem with other mental health challenges and sometimes not what people often, what, what most, uh, psychologists will, will say is that if, if you are, if you were completely removed from your work situation and everything kind of just bounces back for you and you're okay, then typically it's more related to burnout than it is another mental health challenge. However, if you're dealing with burnout for a long period of time, it typically is going to lead in that direction. And that's where, you know, the use of working with a counselor can be really important. And so I often will receive referrals from counselors and I will often refer people out to counselors back and forth because sometimes they need to focus on the development of finding their new pathway to the next thing. Sometimes they need simple tools to work through stress responses and other times they, they have deeper work to do. And that's when I would, you know, encourage why I, yeah, I very much encourage counseling too. Thank you for, for differentiating that in, in, in our roles, right? Because I, I do know that when we work with clients and students, that there are other things that, mm-hmm. that people, you know, that we help people recognize too, and, mm-hmm. and refer uh, out to counseling or other services that are outside of our scope, but that we know that it's part of that process. Yeah. And what we're supporting, you know, our clients or students with, I see right. students because I work, I work with students. Yeah. Um, and so I feel that that's good for people to recognize, right. That, you know, seeking help in a variety of things and so we were whole, it's holistic. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that coaching doesn't involve emotions. I mean, it's very, right. very much does. Right. And it's very personal. Yes. I think that the difference is that when something is gone past the point of just, you know, things you're trying to figure out and more things that need that deeper layer of mental health healing yes. and connection, that's, that's a different type of work. Right. Yes. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I, it's like, it's like, it's finding that balance, right. Cause you know, with people that I've talked to, there are situations where maybe someone doesn't want to leave their organization. They really mm-hmm. care about the work and mm-hmm. they're really, they want to stay right? Because yeah. we're going to, I want to talk about, you know, that people are con- in control of their situation. Yeah. And, and there are other ways, but I want to focus a little bit on the people that are like, okay, I know the signs, I see this, yeah. but I want to continue in my yeah. organization. What are some strategies for someone to actually bring up this 
conversation with their mm-hmm. supervisors. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. people are feeling, you know, these, if they're, if they're feeling yeah. that they're leaning toward, toward burnout. Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me offer one or two th- other things around individuals that individuals can be thinking about. And I'll answer your question on the way there. And yeah. then we'll switch gears and I can share some of the organizational things too, because I think that's going to be really critical as well. So the first is that, you know, in, I, we just got done talking about emotions. I think one of the misnomers around, again, if we're thinking about stress and stressors, the organization kind of has the most of the control over the stressors and the individuals controlling or managing, we'll say their stress. Mm-hmm. So part of what is so critical is for each individual to start to understand what am I doing to manage my stress every day? Not just a checkbox list, not just a, I should do this. I should do that. That makes it worse <laughs> truthfully, right? It's more so about understanding that, you know, emotions. And if you're listening, take, take a beat here. This is big emotions have a beginning, middle and end. They are experienced in the body. And you can, you can reference all of this from the Nagoski sisters. I am not like the, the <laughs> person that came, came up with this. Um, but you know, part of understanding not, I think we kind of, we kind of tell people like, oh, you just get over it. Or, you know, I shouldn't be stressed by that. Right. But you actually have to build in spaces in your life that allow you to go back to the things that happened during the day and release that stress response from your body. Some people do this through walking. Some people do it through, you know, you saw my water bottle, my huge drinking tons of water. (laughs) Some people do it through connection, through dance, through, you know, there there's, there are things that we need through spiritual practice. There's lots of, but, but it has to be connected to this idea of, of physically allowing the body to release that stress. And so I would encourage you to look, look up practices that support that. Now, going back to how do you talk to your boss about this? Part of it is just starting the conversation in general. Did you know, this is really an important business practice that I'm learning about that HBR has a million articles on it, that the MIT Sloan has you know, X, a million articles. I mean, I don't know any professional organization that does, isn't starting to realize. I mean, I was recently working with some folks that are in the medical system. Like this is not, this is, this is for everyone. This is not just for the, this is talked about with astronauts. This is for everyone. So yeah. introducing it as a best practice and understanding it as part of like doing an in-service or professional service or professional in-service as a team, if you have professional development around training to understand. I think that's one piece. Now, the next is that I think we have to really be thoughtful about what kind of emotional safety do people have at work? And I think only you as a listener understand what kind of emotional safety you have with your supervisor. You may be in an environment, in fact, it's very possible that you're in an environment where that may not be well-received. And it may be that that person has not done their own emotional work to understand the importance of that. I mean, if that's the case, I would encourage you to move on. Yeah, <laughs> that is a segue. I'm, just, I'm like, I'm just going to be honest about that. I don't think that they're, you know, but I think if you have someone who is really attuned, you can start to talk about what are the wellness practices we're engaging as a team? How are we building that into our culture? Um, even small things like, we can set our, our, we can send our emails at, we can set it to send schedule to send it between eight and, you know, seven and not eight and two in the morning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of people I've heard feeling that they need to answer emails in the middle of the night is just, it's sad, honestly. This is the part where I told you, you have to help me loosen up because I can get pretty deep about this. No, because it can be, I mean, especially, you know, I think it's, it's intense. It can be intense. Yeah. And, and I think that you bring up a very, very valid point is the emotional safety. And of course, if you know your employer and that you have that, that that's available to you, 
you know, I think that could still be an intimidating conversation to have, but, mm -hmm. but you know, that there might be opportunities to share and not that you're like trying to slack off, but that these are important topics and this is an important conversation to have. It's self-advocacy yeah, and that there isn't right. anything wrong with, with have, with sharing these spaces. Yeah. However, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of want to guide the conversation, you know, make a little shift in our conversation. You know, there, we do know that there are toxic environments Yeah, and there are individuals that they're like, when they're hearing this, they're like, yeah, there is no way in hell that I'm going right. to have this conversation yep. because I'm going to be rejected. I yep. already know what I'm going to be told. And you just, you know, you kind of, you know, set it on the side. You're like, I'm going to encourage that person to leave. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so let's talk to those individuals that they're yeah. like, yep, there's the culture is not going to change. I'm not yeah. going to change the mindset. Yeah. What do we tell those, those people? Okay. Obviously I'm going to be biased on this, but I, I really think that, you know, you, you've got to find a community of people to support you in your process of making your way out, whether that's a coach, whether that's friends, whether that's, you, you, because burnout so depletes you and because, um, because, you know, as I was saying earlier, MIT Sloan came out with these indicators of what actually makes up a toxic workplace. And, you know, you're dealing with racism, sexism, homophobia, you're dealing with ableism, ageism, deep inequities that are not just about like, oh, I don't feel like I'm into my work. This is about dehumanizing people. Okay. So there's a very big difference between, again, someone who's like, wow, I need to move on, or I'm feeling burnt out, or I'm working too many hours versus being in an environment that has kind of attacked your emotional safety and doesn't have any of that whatsoever and has now put you in this very depleted place. And the thing I would encourage is don't scroll for 8,000 hours on LinkedIn, looking for a job and feeling like you don't fit anywhere. Don't, you know, just apply easy, apply to 8,000 places. <laughs> like don't make yourself more upset about it. Find people to talk to about their jobs. Talk to a career coach, talk to mentors, start talking to people and finding ways that you can identify some, some healthy workplaces. I really like the the advice, right? Because people sometimes do feel stuck, especially if there's a mindset of, you know, loyalty, I yeah. can, you know, survive yeah. it's on me. But the reason why I really wanted to have this conversation is because I want, you know, people to, to recognize that you do have control over your situation to some, you know, to some point, I know everybody's, everybody's situation yeah, is different, control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, maybe someone that just needs that encouragement or that nudge, like, okay, it's time for me to do something about my situation. And you're saying, you know, you have to find your support group. I think in, in the job search process or making that career transition an organizational transition does require support. And it could be yeah. through mentors, through career coaches. So don't go, don't go through the process alone or act in desperation, right? As you're saying, just applying to anything and everything, because that adds more layers to, yeah. to the stress. Right. Um, so I really, I think that really will resonate with, with people that are ready to make that, that change and that shift. Uh, so thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah. Now, I, I do want to just mention there too. Yeah. I just, I, you're right. Like I want to offer some care and emotion. Cause even though I'm rattling off all these facts and all this, like the reality is I've worked with hundreds of thousands of people that are, are navigating really deep and, and I think part of what happens is our, you know, especially like our identities get wrapped up in our work as well. And so it can be very scary if you don't know what's on the other side of that. You don't know yes. who am I without this. Um, I also, again, I'm not a clinician, so I'm not, you know, here to talk in depth about trauma, but I think the reality is many of us are carrying our own burdens, our own traumas, and, and some level it becomes even more complex when we're navigating that and, and our in our workplaces or when we're navigating it and work gives us a way to not have to engage with that part. So I, I do want to acknowledge, even though there's all kinds of research and facts and yada, yada, yadas, <laughs> this goes very deep and very personal. And I, I think that's an important point too. No. And, and I appreciate the facts and the research that's important, right. To tie it and to tie it all in. And, and so like, for me, when I'm working with, with clients and individuals, I, I always want to recognize that piece because I think sometimes certain things are easier said than done. 
mm-hmm. and helping, you know, kind of meeting people halfway because I can always, I can always hear someone in my mind and my, you know, saying like, yeah, I recognize this. I, you know, there's signs here, but it might be even more stressful to yeah. begin the job search, you yeah, know, or right. they're experiencing other things. Like I haven't been in the market in years. How do I make yeah. this shift? And so this is a, a whole other stressful situation that maybe I can't, you know, I can't, I'm not mentally prepared for. Yeah. Right. And so right. I can hear, you know, I can hear that, you know, also being on the other, on the other side of things. So I just mm-hmm. want to offer encouragement, you know, yeah. and, and helping people recognize again, that they do have, that they do have a level of control, but also that there are support systems out there yeah, um, and that they're not alone and that this yeah. is real mm-hmm. and that it's not something that, you know, that is something that they're making up or that they have no. to deal with. Right. No. Like yeah. You don't have to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I think again, that goes back to the, like every, all those phrases you use, which I've heard a million times as well. I mean, they all in many ways have their origins in fear. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes those fears are very, like very warranted. Right. Yeah. Um, but especially like, I've got to provide for my family. I've got to assess that feeling of there's no other choice. Right. I once was with some friends who were talking about when they, they were in a really intense work. One of the, the spouses was in an intense work situation years ago. And I said, oh man, that sounded really, that sounds hard. You had to be away so much and you must've not had a choice. And they both looked at me and said, Ashley, you always have a choice. And I thought, wow, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really, that's really profound. Like you're always going to feel like you don't have a choice. Um, yeah, that yeah. is very, thank you for sharing that. That is very profound. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And again, I, that's on top of the layers. I recognize all the systemic things that you and I both value, but I'm putting <laughs> that at, in, in, uh, in a, in a good sort of tension with that. So no, this is a very complex. Yeah. And like, for me, I just want to have this conversation and I'm not an expert in, mm. in, in burnout. And I, you know, again, I wanted to, to have this conversation with, you know, with a colleague and just, you mm. know, what the conversations that are happening, even yeah. with our clients. Yeah. Um, one more question in terms yeah. of the individual, and then I do want to wrap up with the employer yeah, um, yeah, standpoint. Yeah. So let's say we have someone they're like, okay, I'm there. I've crossed that bridge and now I'm interviewing. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get back, you know, in that mm-hmm. old cycle. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for people when they're interviewing to, mm-hmm. to, to kind of weed out and, and, and ensure, I shouldn't use the word insure because nothing is, nothing is, yeah, 100%. right, right. <laughs> nothing right. Is, is foolproof. Mm-hmm. But what are some strategies that people can use when they're interviewing for positions to make, to, 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 to identify things that they're going to go into an organization yeah. that is going to be, you know, that they're, they're going to care about their well-being. Yeah. On some level as the employee, you have to realize, you know, I think we've always seen employers as the, the with the power, right. Mm-hmm. And they, they have it. Sure. But as the employee, you also are the consumer of the employer. Yep. And so you have to start seeing yourself that way as well. Right. So even just simple questions, like, you know, one of the things that really matters to me is workplace culture and not saying like, so what's your culture like, but saying things like, what are some, some specific, um, and strategic ways your organization has implemented, uh, or, or, or is ensuring staff has opportunities for, um, not just well-being, but equity. Where, where, what are your practices that, you know, in your strategic planning where, you know, how is, um, you know, we hear a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, but really turning that around from, you know, is this, is this a a once a month thing or is this embedded in every fabric fiber leadership conversation that's happening around here? Like, these are the things that we have to just start be the norm. It's not strange to ask that that's imperative, you know, and that these are the things that contribute right now that we're again, learning what contributes to burnout. It's not just self-care. It's not just individuals. It is the systems within which those individuals are having to live every single day. The way I guess I thought it would be good to wrap up is, you know, we want to retain people Our employers want to retain good people. Mm -hmm, Right. And so mm -hmm. based on, you know, what we're hearing or what we're seeing 
you know, in speaking to, to organizations and people that lead teams, mm-hmm. what is, what are some, what is the messaging that you want to share with them to, yeah. to avoid, you know, yeah. even burnout existing? Okay. So a few things I think are really important here to note. One is I want to start with empathy. So I just recently spoke at a conference where I was speaking to leaders about burnout and, you know, I kind of launched right into here's the drivers and here's the, um, you know, and even what was in, I, it was, you know, it was great. It was actually a really great time. I, actually, I, 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 it was a, I think it was a very good experience. And when I left, I thought, huh, I could have modeled this behavior even better from the start, because what often happens, I think with, with executive leaders or anyone in leadership is they're just as tired. They're just, they, their hands are tied often. They're trying to create all these outcomes. They're burnt out themselves and they're just doing their best to keep everyone else afloat. So I think we have to look at this from a multiple system level that it's not you know, we can't just put more pressure on leaders to make sure they're taking care of people. And I think that's the thing that, that even I, that will get lost in translation sometimes. Um, what I think is important is to start understanding that this has to be part of the strategic planning for the organization, that this is a leadership imperative, that it should have a place at the table at every monthly, quarterly, weekly, whatever your team is meeting, it should have a place at the table. Now, one of the ways that that can happen is, you know, there's six drivers to burnout and Christina Maslach's um, or Dr. Maslach's uh, research is the kind of the, the primary one on that. Um, let's, I don't know if I can list them all off right now. Let's see, but I'll list off a few um, and workload and perceived lack of control or autonomy are the two top ones. And that's what I see over and over again, really is workload and the autonomy, freedom to do the job in the way you believe it needs to be done. These two are one of the primary drivers. Now, what happens, what, what prevents those things from getting solved? Well, often as leaders, we kind of were like, well, this is just the job, or this is the nature of the industry. We make, we make statements about things Mm -hmm. because on some level, guess what we're doing in that moment? We're not actually saying that's the case. We're trying to emotionally protect ourselves. Because it would be vulnerable to say, I don't really know how to solve that. I don't know if we can solve it. Let's explore that together. Also, we often don't have the luxury of time. So this has to go back to all the way up through, you know, the way we do our performance metrics. We are pushing people to perform at levels that may not be feasible. And I think we have to start reexamining how do we measure performance? Is it all based off of results? Or are we measuring relationships? Is it based off of, you know, the innovative creative space risks that people are taking? Or is it built off of, are you following all the policies? Again, I recognize there's, there's good tensions here to be had, but I think that's what we have to start doing. When I talk to leaders, they often are like, what's the fix? And mm. I have to say back, there's not one fix. <laughs> We have to look and understand deeply what is going on organizationally that contributes to workload, perceived lack of control, lack of fairness, lack of community, lack of equity. Um, we have to, we have to understand those things. Um, and then the final one on that driver is, is really, um, or the final driver, excuse me, is a, well, a a values misalignment between the individual and the organization. And that's the one we jump to all the time, but it's actually like the, the last one. It's, it's not just, oh, well, this person's not a values alignment. They're not made for this kind of industry. It's actually, how have we created this? And does this support equity both for the person at work? And guess what? For the invisible workforce that's taking care of everything for them when they're not at work. So I'm talking well, I'm talking spouses, I'm talking, you know, taking care of the aging. The reality is our society has many parts made up of it. And so if we continue to use humans at this exhausting rate, it wreaks havoc on everyone. So I think that's, that's something that has to be, we have to, we have to really reckon with and doesn't have easy answers. 
and I'm not going to put the squash on a, you know, on a, 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 a leader who I know has to perform at very high levels. But I think the challenge then becomes how can we reevaluate what, what the expectation is right from the start? Yes, this, I mean, this just kind of, this comes to show that this is very complex. Yeah. And, How there do you, are, I mean, and feel free, like push back on that. Do you, do you like, do you see other, what do you see? I agree. I think you, you, you know, you mentioned also something very important, right. And you talk about leadership and that they also are experiencing certain oh. pressures and expectations. And it's, it's a lot of levels, right. Mm-hmm, that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, as a staff person, you may not recognize that um, not, not that it, that, not that I, I want to, I don't want to take away from, you know, from, from that either, but it's just, we are all in different roles and it just yes. goes up the hierarchy Yeah, and people are experiencing, like you said, even their own burnout, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that this is a wider, deeper mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I really like that you, that you talk about those indicators, especially workload. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. a big one. Mm-hmm. Autonomy. Um, all those things really do play a big role in, in everything. I mean, it's, it is holistic. It's a whole holistic. Yeah. I'll mention, I forgot lack of rewards was that's the third ah. one. And that, you know, and that does that that's compensation, right? That's, that's that piece of the puzzle too, but it's compensation is not the number one thing, but it's often the number one thing people will tell you is going wrong, but that usually is just a symptom of, of one piece of mm. it. So yeah, that's a, another piece, you know, before we end, I do want to, I do want to draw folks attention to the research of Dr. Linda Hill, um, who has, she's one of like the, the global leaders and leadership and in, in innovation in terms of, of research. And she has made, she's talked about how in disruption, you know, we always tell leaders like, have a vision, have a vision. You need to know where you're going. And I think the reality is we have to accept that when there's disruption, we don't have a vision of what's next. We instead, what we have to, to, to ground into is purpose. And I think that goes for both organizations and individuals. And when you have purpose, then you're focused on collaboration. You're focused on, well, we don't know what the end goal is yet, but we're working toward it, right? We're finding solutions as we go. We're defining the problem. This kind of, this kind of skill set is actually what organizations in need. And so one of the key findings that she's talked about in her work is that leaders have to focus on emotions in a whole new way. They have to understand what emotions are going on with themselves, the emotions that are happening for their team, because that's one of their primary responsibilities now is to understand the role of emotions at work. Now that's a big statement right? For someone to say, to understand that, not just to push performance. I mean, again, this isn't just like my little idea in the corner. Like these are like leading people and they're, they're the research that's coming forward about what's most important. And so I share that, you know, I put on my, my thought cap today, but as a coach, I think it becomes, how do we hold space for people to find their way toward that goal? And, and that's a whole other that's what I love to do, really. So. And I could tell, I think that was the perfect way to end our, our conversation. Um, and I'll say that, that, you know, thank you for sharing information about Dr. Hill. I'll put a lot of the, the, the things that you've referenced and research, I'll include that in the show notes. Sure. Sure. Um, that was a question that I was going to ask, uh, yeah. but of course you got ahead of it. So that's great. Um, thank you so much. Now, Ashley, people are going to want to connect with you. Can you talk a little bit about how people could connect with you and the type of services that you offer? Absolutely. So I'm, um, as you already mentioned earlier in the intro, I'm the practice director and career and leadership coach at Chicago career consulting. We empower people to design meaningful lives and careers. Um, and we do that with individuals and with teams and organizations. And we, we do that often through helping people cultivate greater emotional safety, what we're talking about today. And so we do that in a few different ways. Um, there's folks on our team that, that work specifically with EQ and do EQ assessments and leadership coaching. And then we also have folks that are focused on 
working with people who are navigating challenges with burnout or a, a challenging workplace. Often it gets so foggy, you don't really know which way's up. And so we are able to sort of say, okay, let's kind of pull the pieces together, pull the pieces apart here, understand what's going on, and then help you create some intentions or goals for the work together so you can find your way toward your next step or find your way back into where you are in a way that feels healthy and good for you and for others. So that's a little bit of what we do. And I would encourage you to reach out. You can check out our website. We've got, we're going to have some new communities launching soon. And so there's a lot of different ways to connect. Um, and then we do, I do have a podcast as well, which, where we listen to people's career stories. Cause that's the number one thing people don't know is like what's out there. So that's what we try and, and share as well. Fabulous. So I will include your information, your website, Yay. your podcast uh, uh, in the show notes. Ashley, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate, you know, this is just the beginning, right, of, of the conversation. And I'm so grateful to have a colleague such as yourself and, you know, that you were, you know, your willingness to talk about this topic. It's so important. Yeah. And so thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. And I look forward to partnering with you and working with yeah. you in the near future. Absolutely. I mean, I believe workplaces can be better, can do better, and that some of them are doing fantastic, right? So we want to we want to partner together and, and continue to see people thrive. So wonderful. Well, thanks. I feel like that I'm all excited now. I'm all jazzed up. Thanks so much, Liz, for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was definitely a lot to process. And personally, I have learned so much from Ashley's insight and experience on the topic of workplace burnout. I'll include some of the resources that she referenced in the show notes in case you wanna check that out. I think it is so important to keep having these types of meaningful conversations. After all, we wanna find that healthy balance in the work that we do. I encourage you to share this episode with someone else you believe can benefit from this topic. Thank you for listening, and until next time, this is Liz Herrera, your career coach and job search ally.